I want to thank Christian Val for helping us to reflect upon Mary's experience. The verse that uh, I love so much about Mary is that after the shepherds have left, it said that she treasured up all these things in her heart and pondered them. She was right in the middle of the great mystery. She had a lot to think about. A lot was going on and a lot was going to happen. And the great mystery is that God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to this earth in order that we might have a relationship with Him. We're in the midst of that series. Last week we talked about the great announcement, the prophecies of Christ coming. Today the mysterious conception. Next week the mysterious mission. And then finally on Christmas Eve we're going to talk about the mysterious offer and I really want to encourage you all to invite people to our services this season, especially Christmas Eve. Studies show that people are more likely to come out to Christmas Eve than any other service you invite them to. So Pastor Rich put together this uh, invite card that you have in your program. So I encourage you to uh, take those out, put them in your wallet, your purse. There's others out there if you'd like some more. More than enough to get out there. And we want to be bold. We want to be bold with the good news of Jesus Christ. There's not many opportunities where we can casually invite someone to a service. But Christmas Eve is one where you pretty much can casually invite anybody. And all you do is you take the card and say, listen, uh, uh, we'd love to have you at our Christmas Eve services uh, this year at Springbrook, the church where I attend. If you don't have a church home, you give them a card. And they might say, oh, I have a church home or whatever. That's fine. Say, well, I'll just give it to somebody else who you think might be interested. And that's all you have to do. Kind of a low threat type of thing. But you need to take the initiative. People are looking for a place to go on Christmas Eve. And we'd love to have them here so we can tell them the good news about Jesus Christ. We have a service on Friday at 7 p.m. and a service on Saturday at 5 and we have a Christmas Day service at 11 o'clock in the morning, just one service. And what better place to be on Christmas than with God's family uh, worshiping Him? Well, let's take a look at Mary's story. Uh, we look in Luke chapter 1, verse 28. Again, she was just 13 to 14 years old, a peasant girl. Nothing really special about her that others could see, but Jesus... Uh, God saw a heart that was devoted to him. It says, The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are hearty favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. Well, again, anytime an angel showed up, people got kind of freaked out. <laughs> so the angel always said, No, no, settle down. Fear not. <laughs> it's okay. Uh, but the angel said there, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. Verse 31, You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. Now, Mary knew who... This angel was talking about because the people of Israel were waiting for the Messiah. And they had studied about the Messiah. 
So she knew he was talking about the Messiah. And every young Jewish girl's dream was to be the mother of the Messiah. And so she had just one question, a very practical question. Verse 34, how will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? I'd say that's a reasonable question to ask. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. All right, right there, there's the mystery we're talking about today. The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Every other birth in the history of the world has been a male and a female coming together in union, or an egg and a sperm, whatever you want to say, and a test tube. I mean, it takes a male and a female, but this one time, a mysterious thing happened. There was no male involved. The Spirit of the God came upon Mary and produced, conceived the Christ child. It's a great mystery. We can't explain it, but we know that it's true. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. The doctrine of the virgin birth, our belief in it, is so critical to our faith because Jesus Christ, in order to pay the penalty for our sin, had to be pure and holy. He had to be God Himself. And the only way that could happen would be through a virgin birth. The virgin birth is important because, first of all, God can only bear God. I mean, if you're going to have God, someone who is God, God has to bear him. He has to be part of the process. Secondly, you cannot have a male involved because the male is the carrier of the sinful nature. When Adam sinned in the garden... It created a sinful nature within him, a propensity, a disposition, a desire to sin. And he passed that down to his two sons, and they passed it down to the generations. And so when a man and woman come together, it's the male who passes down the sinful nature. That's another thing you can blame us for, ladies, uh, that we're passing down the sinful nature. So in order for Jesus not to have a sinful nature, Joseph could not be involved in this. In order for God to incarnate man, he had to be holy. And that was only through the woman. The virgin birth is essential to the deity of Jesus Christ as the God-man. In fact, it was prophesied way, way back in Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, the virgin birth, was prophesied. Let's take a look at it. God is talking to Satan after Adam and Eve sinned. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. What's he talking about? Well, 
there is going to be enmity, that is, uh, between man and Satan. And between thy seed and her seed, we'll come back to that. It, now that's talking about Jesus Christ. It's talking about her seed, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ shall bruise thy head. So Jesus Christ shall bruise Satan's head, and Satan shall bruise Jesus Christ's heel. Now, how did that happen? Well, Satan bruised Jesus Christ's heel by, he thought, engineering his death. Now, when you bruise your heel over time, you recover from that. But Jesus Christ bruised Satan's head. When you bruise a head, you crush it. You destroy it. So at the cross, Jesus Christ defeated Satan. Satan thought he had the advantage, but Jesus Christ came through and brought the triumph that brings us new life. Now, if we go back, it says, and between thy seed, that's Satan, and her seed. That's very interesting. As we look throughout the Scriptures, nowhere except for this particular verse do we see a seed being attached to a woman. It's always a man's seed. Talking about offspring, a man's Seed, But only this one time does it talk about a woman's seed. Well, that's talking about Mary's seed. It's talking about the virgin birth and how some way mysteriously her human egg was infused with divinity. A great mystery. But this is talked about in Genesis chapter 3. Obviously, God had planned this one out. So here we see it come to be. It was prophesied again in Isaiah 7:14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. This is prophecy. This is what you need to look for when you're looking for the Messiah. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. The virgin birth. The virgin will be with son and call him Emmanuel, God with us. God with us. Now, to unpack this idea of the virgin birth, we need to broaden this out a little bit. We need to talk about the incarnation. What is the incarnation? Well, the incarnation is the belief that we have, based on Scripture, that Jesus Christ was incarnated into man, and that he was 100% man and 100% God at the same time. Well, that's a great mystery. Who can figure that one out, right? But it's true. He was 100% man, 100% God. That is the mystery of the incarnation. We're going to look at Philippians chapter 2, which is the definitive passage explaining what that all meant, how that all worked out to whatever degree we can understand it. In fact, uh, verses 6 through 11 were actually a hymn that was sung in the early church. We don't have the tune. But uh, verse 5, it says, Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being 
in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, found that appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Let's take a close look at this. Who being in very nature God, who being, that's his being, that's his core, that's his essence, Jesus Christ was God. He couldn't change that. And being, in very nature, God. Jesus Christ was God. John states it in his gospel. The first verse, John 1, 1. In the beginning, before man, obviously, God was never created. He has always been. In the beginning was the Word. Now, it's talking about Jesus. In the beginning was the Word or Jesus, and the Word or Jesus was with God, and the Word was God. Right there he states it. Jesus Christ was God. We look at John 8:58. Jesus Christ several times just <laughs> came right out and told the religious leaders that he was God. No doubt about it. I tell you the truth, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. Before Abraham was born, I am. Well, that uh, construction in the original language, I am, only God can say that. That means eternal, I am. <laughs> I have always been, I always will be, I am now, I am. And they got ticked. <laughs> they picked up stones to stone them. But Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. That was blasphemy. And, of course, they didn't believe that he was God, and that's why they, of course, were so upset. But, again, Jesus Christ claimed he was God. And you can't get away from that, as we talked about last week. Colossians 1.15, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Now, this is really beautiful. He is the image of of the invisible God. Now, God is invisible. We, we, we will never be able to see God. Remember Moses who saw the backside of God? Uh, we'll never really be able to see God. But Jesus Christ is the image. We can see God in Jesus Christ. And this is so powerful because obviously we want to be like God. We want to be like Jesus. That's what the goal of the Christian life is. And, and and so we can look at Jesus' life, which is recorded in the Gospels, and we can say, okay, that's God in human flesh. So I want to be like Jesus. I want to live like Jesus. We can look at what Jesus taught. We can look at how Jesus related to people. We can... Look at how Jesus worked through difficult situations. We can look how Jesus loved people and served people and gave grace to people. And he was just like us. But he was God, and therefore, what a model we can follow. And, of course, it's not just following a model. There's no way that we can pull it off on our own. We've got to say, God, the only way that I can be like your son is to have your son within me and indwelling me and I need to just have your son flow out of me. I, I just need to 
submit myself to you and pray that you would live through me in order to live like Jesus did. That's why it's so important to study Jesus' life. That's why it's so important to meditate upon it in order that you might uh, encapsulate it and incorporate it into your very being and then live it out uh, through His power. Let's go back to Philippians 2, 6, who being in the very nature of God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. Remember Lucifer, the highest created being, the worship leader in heaven? He, he wanted to grasp the equality of God. He wanted to be like God. He wanted to be greater than God. He wanted to overthrow God. So God took Lucifer and all his demons, a third of the angels that had followed him, and threw him out of heaven. Because he was trying to grasp being God. Well, Jesus Christ did not have to grasp being God because Jesus Christ was God. (laughs) No reason to grasp being God if you are God. And secondly, Jesus Christ was willing to submit himself to the will of the Father. Jesus Christ was willing to voluntarily restrict the use of of his attributes while he was here on earth. To restrict the use of some of his attributes. And we'll see this in Philippians 2.7. But made himself nothing. But made himself nothing. Now this is a critical belief that we have about Jesus Christ as a man here on earth. That he made himself nothing, or you could translate, he poured himself out. It's the idea of pouring everything out. Now, again, some people say, well, then he wasn't Christ, or he wasn't God, because he poured himself out, so they say he wasn't God, and that's not where we go with that, because, of course, he still was God. But he did restrict some of those attributes. In fact, uh, this particular doctrine is called kenosis, K-E-N-O-S-I-S. The idea of Jesus Christ pouring himself out, emptying himself, uh, restricting the use of some of his attributes while here on earth in order to accomplish the mission that he was given. So what, what did he restrict in some way? Well, one thing he restricted was his glorification. His glorification when he was in heaven, oh, mercy, I mean, he lit up the place, (laughs) right? Because he was God. In fact, we read in John 17, verses 4 through 5, he's praying to the Father before his uh, death and resurrection. I have brought you glory on the earth by completing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. So he's saying, God, I've done your work here on earth, and now I'm ready to return to heaven to be glorified once more. What did Jesus look like in the glorified state? Well, all we have to do is look at Matthew 17 and look at the transfiguration. Remember when he took Peter and James and John and he took them up to the mountain, and all of a sudden Moses and Elijah showed up. It's kind of a neat uh, party. (laughs) They show up, and Jesus decides to to pull the veils in order 
that his disciples might see his glory. So it says that his face shone like the sun. Anybody ever looked at the sun before? Don't do that. You're going to hurt your eyes. All right. But really, I mean, he shone like, I mean, imagine looking at somebody and their face emitting so much light they look like the sun. I mean, it was just unbelievable. And and his his clothes were shimmering white. And then on top of that, he had this cloud, this bright cloud coming down, enveloping Moses and Elijah and Jesus. And again, once again, God's saying, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. <laughs> At that particular point, the disciples were so blown away, they just... They were knocked on their keisters, you know. <laughs> they said, way, way too much. <laughs> you know? And uh, then everything went back to normal again. You see, Jesus just gave him a glimpse, a glimpse of his glory. And Peter got all excited, right? And he said, hey, 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 this is great. This is, man, worship. Let's set up three tents here and uh, Moses, Elijah, and Jesus, and we'll just uh, enjoy all this, you know. I don't blame Peter. I probably would have done the same thing. But again, it was just a glimpse of Jesus' glory. And again, Jesus restricted that. And to the point he restricted it is, uh, again, so powerful. And it shows his love and sacrifice for us. In Isaiah 53, uh, verse 2, it says, He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. It's a prophecy about Christ. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. Many Bible scholars believe that this teaches that Jesus was not that attractive, that he wasn't good looking, that there weren't any double dakes by Jewish women as he walked by. Now I'm thinking if I'm coming down from heaven, at least make me good looking. <laughs> make me a hunk <laughs> so people will notice me. But no, no, that's not the way he was. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows. And familiar with suffering, like one from whom men hid their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Hmm. Not really interesting to think about. And think about yourself and how beautiful you are, and you are beautiful, you know that. Um, and then just think of yourself transformed into something hideous. <laughs> Think about that, how that would feel, uh, where people would just kind of look at you and turn away. Not that Jesus was hideous in any sense, but when you, you look at the contrast of him being glorified in heaven and just so beautiful and, and all the worship of the angels, and, and then all of a sudden he's a man and uh, an average man. And, and most of the time in his ministry, he was not treated well. I mean, he had those popular years, but... In the midst of all that, there are all kinds of people who just despised him, hated him, wanted him to die, wanted nothing to do with him, were always criticizing him. He was a man of sorrows, and he did that for you and I. His love is great, isn't it? Second Corinthians 8 9 captures this idea. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich... Yet for, for uh, your sakes he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. 
Jesus Christ became poor for you and for me. I was thinking of uh, an analogy, some, some way to try to get a handle on this. And I was thinking, what if myself, Dan Harrison, had the opportunity to go to uh, Mumbai, old Bombay, over in India, where they have a well-known slum called the Varai. And here are some pictures of it. Just, it's just one acre, okay, one acre. And you have 18,000 people living on one acre. So if you have like a, a 300 square foot, you know, lean-to, there's an average of 15 people living in each of these. Fifteen people living in poverty, having just so little. And God would ask me to go to live in this slum, to give up everything I have here, to give up my family, to give up just, just for the rest of my life I'm going to live in this slum. And it's not like I'm going to be a missionary there and I'm going to be able to go home to my apartment at night and get on the Internet, those type of things. No, I, I would just live in the slum, and I wouldn't have any resources whatsoever. I'd be in the same situation. I'd have the same lifestyle, the same lifespan. I don't think I'd do that. But that's what Jesus Christ did for you and I. He came down to the slum of earth in order to live among us in order to experience life, to live the perfect life, in order to give His life for us. He became poor so that you and I might become rich. That's something to celebrate this Christmas. Other ways He restricted His attributes, John 6:38. He submitted His will, for I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. Remember the Garden of Gethsemane? We talked about that about a month ago and how he submitted his will. He didn't want to go to the cross. His human will is saying, that's a lot of pain, spiritual pain, physical pain. And, uh, but he submitted to the Father's will. He did what God wanted him to do. Uh, also, there was a uh, restriction of his omniscience. For example, he did not know when he was going to return again. Matthew 24:36. no one knows about that day or hour, not even the angels in heaven or the Son, but only the Father. Now, he knows that now because he's omniscient. But while he was on earth, he didn't know certain things, like when he was going to come back again. There are other things, but again, the point is, is that he limited himself in order to love us. Philippians 2.7, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. This is something I've been thinking about this week, and ah, it's been so powerful to think that Jesus was just like me. I've always known this, but I've really thought about it, you know, meditate upon it, really chew it it up and 
yeah, you think of you know Old Testament characters and New Testament characters, and you kind of glorify them, and certainly you glorify Christ. And uh, you really don't think about the fact that Jesus Christ was really one of us. If, if he had come in this day, you might meet Jesus Christ at Home Depot. That's where carpenters hang out, right? I mean, really, think about it. Think about it, going to Home Depot, all right? He's in his mid-20s. Nobody knows who he is. He's come to save the world. And, you know, you, you just happen to meet him, and you're looking for something, and He's standing there, you know, he's a carpenter. Hey, could you help me with this? Oh, yeah, sure, I can help you with that. It's Jesus Christ standing there in Home Depot. God. But he looks like any other carpenter. You get it? You understand that, what I'm saying? So that means uh, Jesus Christ experienced everything that I am experiencing in life. He had physical needs. He got hungry. He liked food. I wonder what kind of, I wonder what Jesus' favorite food was. We're going to some great videos in heaven, huh? Yeah. Because, I mean, there's 30 years there we don't know much about up until his public ministry. Well, he's going to weddings and, you know, he's eating a lot of food. <laughs> you know, he, he, that's why we eat food here because he ate so, out so much, you know. I said, let's get together for lunch. Let's, you know. <laughs> yeah, he got thirsty. Think of him in the wilderness. Uh, he had sexual needs, didn't sin. He uh, he got frustrated. He got angry without sinning. He had bad days, good days. Uh, he um, felt lonely. He he felt. He had emotions, like you and I have emotions. He enjoyed relationships. You know how you, our relationships great most of the time. Uh, you know, but I mean, like when you're sitting across from somebody you love, a friend, your spouse, whoever, and you're just talking and you're just enjoying them. That that's the way he was. Remember, he had, you know, John was closest to him, and Peter, James, and John, the inner circle. I mean, there were such rich times with them. He was just like us. And and again, what's interesting is is that he lived in Nazareth as a carpenter and some scholars believe that he and his father were probably working on a city that was nearby there, not too far from Nazareth, that they were building up, so maybe they would, you know, go up there on a regular basis. We're not sure, but he was working on some type of carpentry and you know, he he, he knows what the daily grind is all about. Life is so daily, right? It's just like day after day after day. If nothing changes, you know, it's the same. I'm stuck. <laughs> well, Christ did day after day. Here he is walking around Nazareth for 25 years. And when he comes back and starts his public ministry, they kick him out of town. They say, hey, you're just the son of Joseph. I mean, I'm sure he was special in the sense of people perceiving him. That guy really... He's a godly man. There's no doubt about that. But beyond that, it's kind of like, yeah, he's just another guy in the village for all those years. Just living out life. And sometimes, you know, we think, I mean, he really lived in obscurity. That's the bottom line. He, here's God on earth for 30 years, 20 years as an adult, what might say, 
in obscurity. And maybe you feel like you're living in obscurity. Your life doesn't count. You know, there's nothing significant about you. But friends, when you live for God, when you're in union with Him, when you walk with Him, that is significance. Every time you think that your life is obscure, think about being a carpenter in Nazareth, okay? Maybe you'll choose your life. <laughs> okay, you know what I'm saying? It's very interesting just to kind of let the Holy Spirit speak to you through that. Yeah, wow, it's just... Uh, and, and, and what means so much to me is that when I go to God and I'm pouring out my heart and I'm pouring out my joys and my frustrations and my pain and... Uh, the blessings. He knows what I'm talking about because he has done it. He's He's been a human. That's one of the most powerful things about Christianity is that uh, God came to this earth and became one of us. Emmanuel, God with us. Well, uh, Mark 10.45 shows us how we need to follow God's uh, Jesus Christ's lead here. Uh, verse 45, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. He gave his life as a ransom for many. And he served. He was always serving. He was always helping people, always teaching, always sacrificing. And we need to do that this Christmas season, right? We need to serve each other. I know we're all very busy and our weeks are filled with plans for Christmas and Christmas parties and all kinds of details. But I want to really encourage you and I to be servants this Christmas. You know who we really need to serve? We need to serve our wives, our mothers, the women. How many women need someone to serve them this Christmas? Anybody out there? <laughs> like, hey! Hey, you know, it's like, hey! <laughs> you know? All right, men. Sons. <laughs> serve your wife. Serve your mom. And, and really, you know, it's not hard because all you have to do is say, what can I do for you? <laughs> and they have incredible lists that they'll write up for you. Yeah, they're ready. They're ready. It's not like you have to think, oh, gee, what should I do? No, you just ask them and boom, 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 you know. No, maybe you want to put a limit on it. Okay. This much time, or they can go crazy on you, you know. <laughs> but be like Jesus. Serve. Put your agenda aside. You know, you got the football game and other activities going on, and just say, no, you know, I'm going to do this instead because I love you. That's what Jesus did for us. Uh, Philippians 2, verse 7 and 8. But made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus Christ paid the penalty for our sin. He's the only one who could do it, being perfectly God and perfectly man. We'll talk about that next week. Then we go on to verse 9. This talks about how he's exalted again after coming to earth. Therefore God exalted Jesus to the highest place, and gave him the name that is above every name. What is a name that is above every name? It's not Jesus. There's a lot of Jesus around. <laughs> it's Lord. He is Lord over everything. Then in the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord 
to the glory of God the Father. Someday, every knee. When Jesus returns, every knee in heaven, every knee here on earth, those people who hate Jesus, those people who doesn't, don't even think a God exists, they're all going to be forced to bow to Him. Every knee in hell under the earth is going to force to bow to Jesus Christ. The man that was abused, the man that was killed, the man that gave so much love. People are going to recognize it whether they like it or not. That he is the Lord. And I'm asking you today, have you claimed Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? You can't Again, earn your way to God. You know, I ask people the question, you know, you think you're going to heaven? Yeah, well, I've been a pretty good person. Wrong answer. You were born dead. Every baby is born spiritually dead. There is nothing any of us can do before we receive the grace of Jesus Christ to impress God, to connect with God, because we're dead. We're spiritually dead. It's only the Holy Spirit who allows us to live again spiritually or to live for the first time spiritually. And have you had that experience? Have you come to God and say, I'm spiritually dead, but I have enough life in me to realize that, that the Holy Spirit's given me. And, and, and Lord, I got nothing, and you died for me. You paid the penalty for my sin. And, and I just received that humbly. I just received that as a gift. I, I put my faith in you. I want to make you my Lord and Savior. I want you to be the center of my life. Please, Lord, give me the gift of your forgiveness. I repent and I believe, like it says here in Romans, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You believe that he died and that he rose again, that he conquered death, that he is God, and that he can provide you with the salvation through his work on the cross. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. It's with your heart. You saying, I trust you, and then God justifies you. He wipes out your sin based on what Christ did for you. You no longer have to experience a penalty of sin, eternal separation from God. And it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. And we as a family at Springbrook, there's nothing that we want more than for every one of you to make this decision to humble yourselves before God. Because once you do that, your life is transformed. You become spiritually alive. You can walk with Jesus throughout this life. You can experience life as it was intended and then you can experience eternity as it was intended. So if you haven't made that decision, please make that decision today. Go to our prayer center just down the hallway here after our services and say, I want to make that decision. Or, or come to me. Please come to me. I'd love to talk to you about it. Or one of our other pastors or uh, anybody you know who might know. Please make that decision. Please make that decision. Isaiah 9, 6 sums this all up. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. A child is born. A son is given. God. Jesus Christ.
and the government shall be upon his shoulder. That, that's someday. <laughs> We're kind of frustrated with the government these days, aren't we? <laughs> well, we've always been frustrated. It's a sinful government. It always has been, but sometimes they've done better than others. And uh, but, but you're never going to be frustrated when, when Jesus Christ rules, as you will someday. And his name shall be called, oh, this is beautiful, Wonderful. In fact, we're going to take a few moments to just meditate on this verse quietly. So think through this about one of these names you want to meditate upon. And really think about it. We're learning how to meditate as a church. Meditate on Scripture. Really let it sink in and let the Spirit speak to us. Wonderful means actual, excellent or distinguished. How wonderful is he, huh? Counselor. That means the comforter. You need comfort? Well, think about that, that he's your comforter. You need an advocate right now? You need somebody to stand up for you, to protect you? Well, that's also a counselor. The mighty God. You need power? Are you this dragon? Think about the mighty God, the everlasting Father. Is your life unstable right now? Well, think about the foundation, the fact that you have an everlasting Father. He never changes. And the Prince of Peace. Have you experienced the peace of knowing Jesus? Or do you have a lack of peace in your life right now? Pick one of those phrases. In a moment, we're going to meditate upon that. Again, I want to encourage you in this daily office, spending time with God. I did a FaceTime challenge last week, and we had 100 people sign up for that. That's during the month of December, the gift you give to God. You're going to give 15 minutes more than you're doing right now. And you're going to take that time just to spend time with God. Experiencing God firsthand. And one thing that I've been doing more of in my daily offices is uh, listening to music and meditating upon the biblical truth in music. And Isaiah 9, 6, of course, there's a song that's been written uh, by Handel, For unto us a child is born. So I was sitting in my office this past week. I had my iPod on my iHome. <laughs> I was just letting that song just drench me. <laughs> you know, it's so cool. And uh, that's what I want you to do also is, is use Christmas music and take that Christmas music you love so much. And, hey, listen, I, I, Isaiah 9, 6, uh, for unto us a child is born. You know, I've sang that song in choir when I was in high school and other choirs. And, but I've never taken time to meditate on that verse. Isn't that crazy? All these years I've never taken time just to really sit down and think about it carefully. That's what we're going to do here. And I encourage you to do that with other music. That's meaningful to you. So we're going to uh, go into a time of meditation, and then we're actually going to listen to a couple of minutes of this uh, wonderful uh, piece of art, uh, music that God has given us. Let's just uh, pick out one of those names and meditate upon it.
Now we're going to play a portion of that song. And I just want you, I just want you to listen to it in a new way. I just want it to, to wash over you. And I want you to just, just reflect on what we've talked about today. That Jesus Christ came to this earth and became one of us. For unto you a child is born. A son is given. And just thank God. Just, just be with him right now. And rejoice in his presence. enraptured when I listen to that music. Not just because it's great music, but because it's about you and that you were born. You were born. And that you love me so much. And that you came to this slum, this slum of earth, to live in this slum in order to pay the penalty for my sin. And I will never be able to thank you enough. I pray, Lord, that you would help me to live life for you, for your power, because of your great love for me. In Christ's name, amen. Well, we're going to... uh, gather our offerings at this time. Just want to remind you about our year-end offering. Uh, we're raising, uh, we're giving, that is, uh, to the Lord, uh, 